You know, we all came here this morning with something. Some of us brought a lot of joy with us. Some of us brought happiness. Our happenstances are going very well. Some of us brought some burdens and sorrows. Some of us dropped things. All right. That's one of my bookmarks. But um, one thing that coming together helps us, it helps us to refocus ourselves, you know, refocus our lives. We all, most of us know what we should be doing and should not be doing. And we know who we're serving, but it's easy to forget. And so coming together, just it just fine tunes us, I think we could say. I was speaking to a young man. I can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before yesterday, but this week. And he called me up, hasn't been here in months, and struggling with his life. And I listened and prayed with him over the phone. And the thing I told him, I said, come to church. <laughs> and I was like, it's not just, it's not, you're not punching the ticket here. It's not just to do an outward act or something. But this is where you'll get encouragement. This is where you'll hear something in a class. This is where something at the Lord's Supper, something will be said or in a prayer or maybe even in the lesson. The singing, something will happen and it will be the right thing for you. And and that's I just want to encourage you. If you if you wake up on Sundays and you're like, should I? uh, You know, I'm not feeling really good. Come make yourself come and be with fellow Christians because you're going to get, God is going to arrange it so you'll get what you need. And that helps you grow in, the, in your faith. It helps you grow in the Lord. It helps you to refocus and to see, you know, this is what I need to be doing with my life. We're in First John chapter 3. And John is about to make some very black and white statements here. Uh, they're somewhat disturbing. And if you've ever read through First John, you'll you'll see some things like, what in the world is he saying? Listen, listen to these two. That's going to come up a little bit later, but not today. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Now, any Christian who examines himself honestly, they see sin in their lives. And so it's easy to come to a quick conclusion. Well, I must not be in Christ. I must be of the devil because I sin sometimes. And so we need to be reminded, as we were in the last lesson, that there's there's a reason that we can be confident in the Lord. There's a reason we can be unashamed before him. There's the reasons that we are evidence that we have a new birth. And so John's going to continue to all throughout this book to establish who we are before he comes to these strong statements that says, and this is what you do. He doesn't start out with what you do. He starts out with who you are, who God is and and who you are in him. Previously, he wrote about abiding in him or remaining in him or living in him. We looked at that last week and very practically afterwards, Julie came to me and said that. That remaining in him simply means being aware of him, being aware of his presence, being aware that he is living in us, just the awareness that he's here and living in us. And it's a relationship that you're constantly aware of. 
And I don't mean that you're thinking all the time. God is in me. God is in me. God. It's just an awareness of it. You know it. If someone woke you up in the middle of the night and said, you know, where's Christ? I guess you'd say in me. It's just this awareness that he that he is there. He is with you. He lives in you. And when we're not aware, when we lose that, we, we quit thinking about that. We begin living as if he is not abiding in us, as he is, as if he is not at home in us, in that relationship at that present moment. He's he's just not we're living as if he's not there, that we're that he's not abiding in us. So John gives us the key to this confidence. And in fact, all throughout the book, we looked at the confidence last week, but all throughout this book, he gives us the key to confidence. He talks about walking in the light early on, living in that constant awareness of complete dependency on him, being aware of his total love for us at all times. And when I realize this, it helps me clean house. It helps me clean up my home. It helps me clean up not my physical home, but my spiritual home. I know there are certain things I need to put off. There are certain things I need to put on and I, and I discover more and more what those things are. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Some things are obvious sins. Uh, Paul even talks about the obvious sins. But there's some things that we become aware of that we weren't aware of, that we weren't aware that we were that we had that attitude. A pride is a very easy one to come up with. Some most of the time you're we are not aware of how prideful we are until something reveals itself to us. And then we say, you know, I have just been stinking prideful for months and or years and I haven't realized it. It's just I've been blind to that. And so God helps us see those things as we live in him. We examined two points last week. We looked at our attitude in him while living in him. We can. And I, I think I need to emphasize we must be confident. We must walk in confidence. And it's a confidence that is based on being in him. I am confident before God, not because of what I've done, but I am confident because of what he's done. His work has given me that confidence. And I rest in that. I'm at home in Christ. I'm constantly aware of that presence. And the second point, we looked at our action. There are things that we do. We learn to do what is right. And doing what's right, as I do what's right, it's not earning me a thing. It's not earning me salvation. I'm not going to heaven because I'm such a good person. I am going to heaven because Christ is such a good person. Because of what he's done for me. And my work comes out of his work. My actions come out of his actions. I learn to imitate him, to walk like him. We looked at that in the previous verse also. Because of what he's done. Not because I'm trying so hard to measure up to something. I can never measure up to that. But I live out of him. I live out of, uh, of what he's done for me. And I learn to do what's right. You know, last week I stated how difficult First John is to outline. I'll, I challenge you, if you're an outliner, if you know anything about outlining, try and outline First John. Bring it to me. Let me read it. There's an internationally known, at one time, scholar that I didn't know anything about until I accidentally discovered him. His name is Gordon Clark. And he said this. He has some small little uh, booklets on, on different books of the Bible and subjects. He said this. The more one tries to fit the verses and paragraphs into the outline earlier suggested, the less one likes the outline. 
In other words, he outlined and said, hey, here's the outline. And then the more he studied, the more he liked, he, the less he liked the outline that he that he put out. And so it's difficult to try and grasp. And it's hard for me to grasp what he's, he's, he's saying if I can't get a if I can't get it in kind of outline form. And so he uh, it gave me comfort to know that other people struggle with with this book. To me, though, at this point, it seems like John is changing gears in verses 28 and 29. And I gave you this little illustration last week. He's he's not introducing a new thought. He's expanding on old thoughts. And this is this is John's method. He just keeps expanding on the foundation that he's laid. And so in verse 29, uh, 28, 29, that we, it says 29, 29, it should be 28 and 29. He this is a transitional uh, uh, section where he's been talking. He's been talking about the truth. He's pointing back the truth of who Jesus is. And then he's going into the future. His future writing is going to be, this is the result of that truth. This is what happens when we remain in him. This is how we live. And so I, I made my outline contrast of living righteously and sinfully in verse 28 of chapter 2 through chapter 3, verse 10. If you read those, you will see a stark contrast, a black and white contrast between living righteously and living sinfully. And John's call is live righteous. Don't live sinfully. And we'll look at that as, as we get there. In these three verses, chapter three, verse one through three, this is a parenthesis to me. Uh, if you read the last verse of chapter two and go to, to the fourth verse of chapter three, you'll just see it, it, it reads as if it just reads smoothly. So I think he has a parenthetical statement here and he he's uh, he's going to before he goes into these black and white statements, he's going to. Tell us something that has that that is is so marvelous. He just had to take a pause. He had to stop and say, listen to this. I've outlined this. The fact this is what we're looking at today. Verse one, who we are, the promise, who we will be in verse two and the labor, what we're to strive for in verse three. When Martin Lloyd Jones, who was a well-known preacher before my before I was born. All right. That long ago, he made comments on. On verse two, and it it sums up what I see of this whole whole book, but especially these through uh, three verses. And I'll I have a short little paragraph. He says, I suppose that we I suppose we must agree that nothing more sublime than this has ever been written. And any man who has to preach upon such a text or upon such a word must be unusually conscious of his own smallness and inadequacy and unworthiness. One's tendency with a statement like this always is just to stand in wonder and amazement at it. I have never chosen in and of myself to preach upon this text. I have often felt that I would like to, but there are certain great words like this in Scripture of which, frankly, I am, in a sense, frightened. Frightened as a preacher lest anything that I may say may detract from them or may rob anyone of their greatness and their glory. That may be wrong, but this is how it always affects me. And when I studied this book, when I read that, those words, I said, well, thank you, Martin, because that says in a beautiful way how I feel as I look at this passage and then say, and then I have to stand up before you and try and share this beautiful passage I'm inadequate to do this. It is frightening to be able to try and stand up and, and open God's word in a, in a marvelous passage like this and try to to explain 
what can't really what what can't be explained. And so I am thankful to you as a congregation. Uh, You have seen fit and I think it's a biblically supported uh, fitness to allow me to spend that time to study God's word, to meditate on this, to think about it and then to prepare to for your benefit. Uh, I, I take this very, very seriously. It's not the only thing I do, but I take very seriously God's word and presenting it uh, to you each Sunday. And I know it's a privilege. Uh, sometimes as I'm sitting there in the luxury of studying God's word, I think of many of you who don't have that luxury. I mean, you're at that time either sleeping because I'd work very late sometimes or you're at work because you have to you're you have you have um you have sold your, your time to an employer. And that's, that's good. That's a good thing to do. But your time is being paid for, and you have to devote 40-plus hours of your week to, to, uh, to your job. And you need to do that as a Christian should do. But I have a luxury and a privilege, and, a, and, it's, and it's, a, um, oh, it's, it's a burden to look at God's Word and then prepare it to deliver to you. There's hidden gems in this this passage. You think I go slow? I could take a a week on this one verse, but we're going to take 20 minutes, (laughs) approximately. Based on this introductory thought of chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, where we looked at our attitude and our action, John then pauses, as I said, to make these three important points. And it's almost as if, He couldn't go on before he said this. I have to say this before I get into these black and white statements. And the first one is the fact. Here's a fact. And I want you to grasp this if you can. If you can grasp this to to just a degree, who you are in Christ, who you are. And it's important to know who who you are. On Wednesday night class, I was assigned that topic, the our identity in Christ and spent a few minutes talking about that. And this is the important principle. You operate out of who you believe you are. You act out of who you believe you are. And you may not consciously have ever thought about this, but that's how you how it is. When however, whatever your actions are, whatever your attitude is, however you treat people, you are acting out of who you deep down believe you are. Sometimes we use the word. Entitlement society, people who believe they're entitled to certain benefits, they believe they deserve special privileges. And then when they don't get those things, they become belligerent, angry, demanding. What are they doing? They're operating out of who who they believe they are. I deserve this and you're preventing me from getting this. Therefore, you're the bad person. And the world is full of philosophies on how we can improve our self-esteem and Advance our self-image. But for us who are believers, the way we think about ourselves should be based in how God thinks of us. I, I look at how what does God say about me? And God gives me a true appraisal of who I am. He lets me know who I am, whether I feel like that or not. If you think you are something when you are nothing, you're due a disaster. If you think you are nothing, when you are something, you'll not amount to anything. Did you read about the story about Timur and Amur? <laughs> Anyone read this story or am I the only one? 
Oh, good. I'm the only one. I'll tell you this wonderful story. Amur, a Timur, excuse me, it's, it's a, a, a whatever, nature preserve or whatever somewhere in the world, okay? I think over in China area. Uh, Timur did not have that name. He was originally the mill of Amur. They, they have these tigers and they give them a goat every week that they can kill and eat because that's what tigers do. And so they, they put this goat in there and something happened. The goat had a great attitude <laughs> and he kind of just went up to the tiger and butted him and and the tiger's like, oh, dude, you know, it's, my meal is resisting or something. I don't know what he did, but they they actually became friends, friends. All right. And uh, for a week, it's like, oh, this is amazing. We got Timur. They named him then Timur and Amur are just uh, comfortable with each other. They're friends. They talked about the friends, how friendly they were with each other and all this stuff. Well, this past week, Amur had had enough. <laughs> don't worry. Timur is still alive. They don't, yeah. They don't, but he just, he, he just thought he was a, a, a tiger one too many times. And Amur had enough and grabbed him by the neck and shook him like a kitten. And, and poor old Timur hobbled away saying, I ain't going to do that no more. <laughs> well, I've taken Timur away from Amur now and Timur's healing. He's doing well. All right. I don't know what's going to happen to him, but they're not going to be friends anymore. The, the, the problem was this. Timur thought he was something he was not. And. Amur, oh, I thought it was my phone. Thank you. Oh, Amur, <laughs> Amur decided, okay, I'll let it slide for a while. But that's how we go through life sometimes. Sometimes we think we're b- bigger than we are. Or we think we're less than we are. And so we need God to say, no, this is what you are. This is what you are. And I may not feel that way. But if God says I'm that way, that's the way I am. And the Bible's just full of this. First uh, Peter chapter two, verse nine is one one example. But you are. Or we miss those words. So I, I highlight it. This is what you are. Listen to God. A chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. We could we could spend a week on each of these. A people belonging to God. This is who you are. Why? That now this is what you do, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light and read through the New Testament. You will see this over and over and over again, that God tells you over and over. This is who you are. And there's hundreds of things of who you are. This is who you are. Therefore, this is what you do. And if we ever get that mixed around, and most and many of us do, we get that mixed around and we start with what we do before we, and we never get to who we are. And, and it will fall apart, spiritually speaking. So this is who you are. And this is what John does here in this verse. Let's read it together. Chapter 3, verse 1. How great is the love of the, the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. I really, really thought I was going to get through all three verses and, there, and just couldn't do it. Sorry. Had to stop right here. Beautiful verse. 
In some of your translations, you'll see the word behold or see at the very the very first part of this verse. The NIV doesn't have it. And I don't blame the translators. It's difficult to know how to how do you how do you translate certain words? And these these uh, the old word behold is just a little archaic in our hearing. You know, it just it just sounds I don't know. It, it, it doesn't sound right in modern ears. Maybe if you're old enough and you've heard it enough, it, it sounds OK. But for the younger people like me, you know, behold, you know, that's just you know, it's just an old word. And so I think that's why the NIV left it out. I don't know. But it's an interjection. It's an exclamation. It's to get your attention. And that's the downfall of the NIV, because this word is saying, pay attention. See this. Behold, I want to make a point here. I'm getting I'm, I'm putting an exclamation point here enough to take your breath away. If you just listen. Oh, see this, he says, grasp this, consider this. This is marvelous. That's what that little word means. And so it's vital for us to look at this passage and not just read over it quickly in a careless way. This is a wonderful statement of who you are. This is good news. It's so good that if you understand it, it's life changing. You're going to be amazed at this. If we can just if there's some way we can hang on to this, look at this, meditate on this, really put this into our hearts, our minds and our hearts. If we do this, it, it, it spiritually speaking, at least takes your breath away. How great is the love? How great is the love? Some translations say what manner of or what quality or what great or what incredible. They're trying to get across this point. The word literally, this is this is one of those wow things to me. The word literally means from what country or race. And what that is saying is this is this is foreign to the way we think. This is different than the way we think. It's a different quality. It's a different sort. It's something we've never come across before. Now, we have, as far as growing up and for the last whatever years you've been a Christian and and influenced by Christianity. But when this was first written, it was so new that it was it was foreign to everyone. No other no other nation, even the Jewish nation, hadn't heard of this kind of love. And so I think sometimes we just kind of take it for granted. Let me tell you two quick stories that might help us a little bit about the exotic nature. A couple came to visit us in Fiji. Let's throw this first slide. This is a Fijian man. It's no one that I'm related to that I know of. Uh, but he's holding a very common cane knife. We call him a cane knife there. And we had a couple came and visited us and they spent a week or so with us at the house in Fiji. And the first day, we've been there a few hours, and he said, let me ask you something. As we drove over from the western side of the island to, the, to where we lived in the eastern part of the island, we noticed people walking around with knives. Uh, is it dangerous here? And Julie and I looked at each other and were like, we don't even notice that anymore. I mean, people walk around with these knives all over the place. And they hardly ever hit each other with it. I mean, occasionally. <laughs> but most of the time, this is how we trim. I, I have two of these at home. And I, in the summertime, I'll take out my cane knife and I'll be out there and I'll be 
cleaning up the yard with my knife. And I, and I know sometimes people look at me strange. It's like, but it's our lawnmower, it's our hedge trimmer, it's all these different things. But, you know, when you first go there and you see these big old men, and some of them are pretty big, walking down the street with these big old knives, this, it's just like, what's going on here? And it's kind of that, that sense of God has given us something that we don't know. One, one year I was in Thailand. And it was getting dark, and I looked up ahead, and there was something big in the road. And I was like, what in the world? You know what it was? Elephant. Big old elephant walking down the road. And everyone else just kind of like, oh, whatever. But to me, it was exotic. It's different. Have you ever seen an elephant walk down the road? No, I mean, it's, it's something that's just out of this world. And you feel, when that happens, you feel... Exotic. <laughs> you feel, wow, I'm in a different place. This is a different country. This is a different way of, of life here. And one of the translators actually uses that word. He says, this exotic love is exotic, is different. And so you need to grasp the kind of love we're talking about is not worldly love. It's otherworldly love. It's God love. It's not mankind of love. This is a love that you would not even expect from God. You know, we, we would expect several different types of love from God. But this is beyond expectation. We can get a small grasp on it. We can begin to get a small grasp on it. But we will never fully understand this love. And so if we just kind of ho-hum it, we're missing the point. If you ever think you can get a grasp fully on God's love, you miss the point. You never will fully grasp God's love. It's beyond what we expect, beyond what we deserve. It's a good news that's so good that we're that we're tempted to explain it away. Just say, well, it's not really. It's not really. Yes, it is. This is an otherworldly type of love. How great the love the father has lavished on us. First of all, that word father, the father has lavished. I think it would be the height of arrogance for us to call God father unless he said I'm father. For me to say, Father, I mean, to me to claim a relationship with God, it's just arrogant. Unless God says, yes, I'm your Father. This is the kind of love that He lavished on us. Simple version of this word is give. But the context determines a stronger word. They, the translators have to use a stronger word here. It speaks of generosity. It speaks of abundance. It speaks of much. Uh, it's not cheap. This is not a cheap gift that has little meaning or value. It cost him his son. It's of great value. And so we have this wonderful gift from God. And he shows us his love. He says, by lavishing. I love that word. It's one of my favorite English words. Lavish. I, I, I you know, I try to find a better picture than this. The lavished in rain. You know, uh, my favorite illustration is, is when I get a. Ice cream cone in Fiji at the Hare Krishna place. There's a place, Hare Krishna, that I get my ice cream. And they hand dip it, and it's really good, and you ask for just one scoop. And what I love about that place is they put a scoop on, and then they get in there and scoop out some more and lavish it on you. Nothing like lavished with ice cream. All right, so I, you know. Lavished. It's a beautiful word. What is this the Father has lavished upon us? That we should be called children of God. Now, don't treat this tritely. 
This is a true family relationship that God has created. Being a slave, being the servant of God, I would expect that. I would even expect more being an outcast, an enemy of God. I would expect that. But God has given to us a great expense, new birth, new life. In fact, 90% of the time that this word give is used in the New Testament, it talks about God giving to us, not us giving to God. You know, we have that flipped around backwards. We talk about us giving to God, us giving to one another. And if, if that's a true statement, I didn't personally count it. Uh, another Bill Montz uh, counted it up. If you want to look at his expository dictionary words or whatever. He said 90% of the time, this word is God giving to us. And we've missed that. When I saw the percentage, I thought, I've missed that. Because I look that God gives. Oh, yeah, God gives. Sure, he gives. But then I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do that. I'm supposed to give this. I'm supposed... And it's like God gives. And 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 we sit there. Oh, well, how much time do we have left? Or are we over time? But that's, how, that's our attitude, isn't it? And God gives. He's a generous giver, the great giver. He grants us an entrance into his home, not as a visitor, not as a slave, but as his child. And connected to that is every privilege attached to the family. The inheritance. He talks about the inheritance that is reserved for you. You have an inheritance from God. The joy, the wonder, the safety in God's home. And this word called here means actually and truly called. This is not this is this is a true statement. He actually did this. And so he says, and that is what we are. In the Greek, and we are. It's in two words in the Greek, but it's and we are. Wordsmiths like me could read over this first statement and say, oh, we're just called that. We're not really that. We're just called that. It's a title. It can be taken away or whatever. But John drives the point home here. He says, and we are. We are. We are called children of God. And that's what you are. Can you believe it? We are. It's not a title. It's real. It's not a feeling. It's fact. It's not trite. It's true. This is what we are. His children. And if I ever, if I, I'll make it personal, if I ever really get this into my brain, it'll change my life. If you ever really get it into your mind who you are in Christ, his child, it'll change your mind. It'll change your life. You're God's child. You'll walk as God's child. You'll get your mind out of the gutter. You'll stop slopping around like a pig doing things you shouldn't do. Stop going to places and using words and treating people. Like they're like you're the child of, a, of the devil. We'll stop doing that if we ever get in our mind who we truly are. I'm the king's child. The one who created the universe. I'm his heir. And we, we just we just stop and say, how can that be? I understand that God loved Jesus, his one and only son. I understand that. But how could he love me? And he says, I do, 
because I choose to do that. You are my child. So start acting like it. And then he says, the world does not know him. It does not, did not know, does not know us, did not know him. When I, when I read that and thought about it, I thought, I am a misunderstood child. <laughs> I am. I'm misunderstood. You know, you, if you ever, and I, you know, you get all these pictures of misunderstood children. They look like they're spoiled brats. But so I didn't get one of those. But, you know, we're misunderstood children. The world looks at us from the world's viewpoint. They can't understand it. When we act like God's child, they don't understand that. Now, they understand it when you act like child of the devil. They understand that. But they don't understand it when you act like God's child. And it's that our attitude is growing and becoming more like Jesus. And the world looks at that and just says, I don't get it. Because they did not get him either. They did not understand him. John chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, even though Jesus, the world was actually created through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So don't be surprised if they don't get you either. They don't understand you either. The story of the gospel is the story of the world not recognizing Jesus, not understanding him fighting against who he was and finally killing him. And that's how they treat us. Expect it. First Peter chapter four. I have just part of this on the screen, but I'm going to read the starting in verse three and four. And let's get down to verse 12 through 16. He says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans chose to do, choose to do living in debauchery, lust." Drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. They, the world, think it strange that you do not plunge with them in the same flood of dissipation. Peter liked beautiful words, didn't he? Into the same flood of dissipation that they heap and they heap abuse on you. Verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory in God and in of God rests on you. That whole passage, read, from, read that whole chapter. It's beautiful, and it's just saying, look at who you are. Yes, don't worry about the world. Don't try, try, don't try and get the world to understand you. They're not going to understand you. You just live. The only way the world's ever going to understand you is when that person in the world comes into Christ. Then they'll start to understand because then they'll be that and they'll be able to understand. The world can't know you unless you act like them. So stop acting like the world. And the way we do that is we remember who we are. Every Sunday we take the Lord's Supper. Almost every Sunday the person coming up here says we remember. And that's what we're called to do. Remember who we are in Christ. If you believe you're a pig, you'll act like a pig. If you believe you're worthless, you'll participate in worthless activities. If your life is focused on temporal things, your life is going to be wasted. So, God, so John here says... I need you to grab a hold of this. See this. Pay attention to this. God's love is so great that he expressed it 
in adopting you into his family, making you his child. And this is the truth. This is not some high theology or even low theology. It's reality. The one who owns the world is your father. A billionaire is a pauper compared to him. The Milky Way galaxy looks something like that, if you guess if you're far enough away. It's where we live, by the way, the galaxy that we're living in. It's, a, from what I've been told, is 100,000 light years across from one end to the other. If you were to travel the speed of light, 186,000 odd seconds, some 186,000 miles per second approximately, it would take you 100,000 years to go across that galaxy. And that's just one of the billions. We have a galaxy a few light years away from us. And there's others and others and others. And I say this because that's your father that created that. How can you believe that? How can I believe that and be worried? How can I be worried about my life when this is my father who has created that? How can I be a child of his and act selfish? How can I be afraid when I have such a father? If we just begin, and this is where we struggle, begin to understand this. We will begin to get rid of those fears and phobias and worries and attitudes. When we just begin to grasp who, we're, who, who is our God, who is our Father. Ephesians 1, verse 16 and 17, one of my favorite passages I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that we will know him better. Oh, you just got to get to know your Father better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You'll be walking in the light. Why? In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Do you know the hope to which he has called you? The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Absolutely amazing, marvelous. And we don't understand it, do we? That's who you are, his child. Think about this. The incredible, out of this world kind of love that the Father has lavished on us that he called us his children. And that is actually what we are. Now, because we are his children, the world can't understand us. Why? It never, never, it never understood him either. Isn't this marvelous? It's a marvelous, marvelous passage. If you're out of that relationship, man, we're not calling you into uh, some regimented lifestyle. We're calling you into a relationship with the, the creator of the universe. And I hope we, we all begin to grasp. And I know it's a lifetime process. I know that. I know. I'll never, we'll never, the oldest of us, will never fully understand how wonderful it is. But there's degrees. You'll go from glory to glory in understanding God's love for us. And we invite you in there. Be a part of this. 